You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We work night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. This is the word of God. For the people of God. So we're in this letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He wrote a couple of those we have in Scripture. We're reading from 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia, now modern-day Greece. It was a major trade hub, a city where lots of trade happened. These major trade routes going east to west and west to east came right through there. Paul, on his early missionary travels, has stopped there, has proclaimed the gospel. Some have received it and become a church. Now, our best scholars tell us they believe by the time he's writing this letter, it's in the early 50s of the Common Era. He's about 300 miles south living in Corinth in ministry there and writing this letter back to Thessalonica and the Christians there. The first chapter we looked at last week, early in chapter 2, Paul begins to reflect on his time with them in person. He reminds them that before he got there, he was in Philippi, and there was some trouble there. Maybe he got run out of town because of what he was saying. He says he got to their fair city, and he experienced great opposition there as well. And yet, he says, you know, I labored day and night. And those with me, we labored day and night to share this good news with you so that you might know. He says, in fact, in verse 10, you are witnesses. And God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. He's asking them to remember what they were like when they were there because now people are attacking them, attacking Paul's character as well as his teaching. And he's saying, wait, remember, I worked diligently. I treated you well. I was upright in my conduct. I was diligent in proclaiming the gospel. You were witnesses, and God also was my witness. And then he goes on to sound another positive note in verse 11. He says to them, as you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul is saying, these other folks are attacking us and we're not there. But you remember when we were there, we encouraged you. We were fair. We were gentle. We were like a parent caring for a child. We were bringing you into the faith. 
Remember us. Paul wants them to remember. We were encouragers for you. Encouraging you to draw closer to God. Even as God calls you into his kingdom or his glory. Or we could say into his family. And then in that last verse we read, verse 13, he compliments these Thessalonians further because he thinks they were discerning in terms of understanding what he and the others were saying. They heard them not just saying human words, but proclaiming the word of God. And Paul says, we give God thanks for you constantly for this, that rather than seeing us as trouble, you saw us as proclaiming good news to you, proclaiming the gospel to you. As we read Scripture in this setting, when we finish, we say this is the word of God for the people of God, and then we all give thanks to God for this revelation, for these words of good news that come into our lives. We believe this is the living word of God, we're not saying that these words or stories were dictated by God. We're not saying that in these 66 books contained herein that there are not varying perspectives because there are. We're not even saying that all these books or stories have the same value for every one of us in each of our circumstances. But we are saying that we believe those who put these books together were inspired, the writers, the editors, the collectors, they were inspired by God. They wanted to share their experience of God alive in their lives, and so they captured this to pass it on to subsequent generations. We are saying that this is the most reliable vehicle. If you want to learn about God and encounter God and you're going to read one book, this is the one. Come to these pages. Read these stories. Listen for the wisdom contained here. And we're also saying that we believe that God can speak to you directly through these words. That when we come to a place like this, and we come with open hearts and minds, when we come in a stance or a position of devotion and openness to God, and we read and explore what's in these pages we believe that God can speak to our hearts today, that God can refresh our souls, that God can enliven our spirits, that God can enlighten our minds as we study and read and share together. It's not uncommon. After a Sunday morning worship service, I'll go to the hallway and shake hands that one of you will not say to me, what you said today, that spoke directly to me. Or I think you wrote that sermon just for me. Or they'll often say, you know, I was struggling with something, and I don't know how you do it, but what you shared today really helped me clarify what I need to do. Now, I appreciate the kind words and the encouragement. I like that. I'm glad that's happening. But I've got to say, it's not just me. Here's the deal. It is God at work in me and in you. As Christians, we believe that God is inspiring the preacher and the pastor, that God is calling me. And when I write these sermons, I pray that God will inspire me in the writing and when we're here together, but also that God is at work in you, inspiring you as you listen, 
that you open your heart and mind to whatever God might say through me. It's more than my words. So often, I've been in your spot listening to other preachers and God has spoken to me. It's not always exactly what the preacher was saying, but something God used to move me in a certain direction or to respond to a prayer or a struggle that I was having. Our United Methodist Book of Discipline, which is our guidebook, our rule book, it also has our foundational documents in a section called Our Theological Task, talks about this. I want to read you a few sentences from the book where it talks about Scripture. It says this, United Methodists share with other Christians the conviction, we talked about that word last week, the conviction that Scripture is the primary source and criterion for Christian doctrine. The biblical authors illumined by the Holy Spirit, bear witness that in Christ the world is reconciled to God. Then it says this about us. As we open our minds and hearts to the Word of God, through the words of human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, faith is born and nourished. Our understanding is deepened and the possibilities for transforming the world become apparent to us. And then back to Scripture, one last sentence. Through Scripture, the living Christ meets us in the experience of redeeming grace. Isn't that beautiful? That's well said. That this book... God uses to speak to us, to be in ministry with us. This is not something just from the past. This is something that's happening now in the present. This is the living word. Whenever we open our heart and mind and receive this as an inspiration from God to us. Now, Paul mentions here in a number of other places that whenever he preaches this word of God, it seems like trouble breaks out. The people get upset. That not everybody's ready for the change or the movement of God. But he says, I am so thankful to you who are believers that when we spoke, you did not hear it only as human words. You did not judge us only by human standards. No, he says, you heard it as the word of God, as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking through us, enlivening your hearts and spirits so that you too might receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul's preaching this good news about God's love and power raising Christ from the dead. That God is with us in life and death and life after death. And that this power and love is still at work in the world. But he goes a little further than that. He just doesn't make it a general statement that God is at work in the world. In that very last verse we read, he says that it's this. Not, not as a human word, but you accepted it for what it really is. God's word. But then he adds this which is also at work in you believers. You get up in the morning and think to yourself, God is at work in me today. 
They go to lunch and think God is at work in me now. You visit with your neighbors or friends or in the course of whatever activities you're doing through the day and remember God is at work in me. God's word is alive in me. That's the stance we're supposed to have as Christians is believing that God's not only saved us once, but that God is with us, continually working in us and through us so that we might know the love of God that's come and been revealed in Jesus Christ, but not only know it for ourselves, but share it with others. Oh, this is not just an old book. It is an ancient book, but not only that. It's not something we should relegate to the past. The good news is that the same love and power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. At work in you right now, on this very day, in this place, and when you leave it as well. Do you remember the name Trevor Hudson? He's a Methodist pastor from South Africa. He comes to the United States every few years and leads some spiritual retreats. He's written several books. We had the privilege of having hearing, hearing him here in this pulpit a few years ago when he was in the U.S., and then we did a book study on one of the books he wrote about discovering our spiritual identity. I used some of it in some sermons. In the book, he has lots of different exercises to help us grow closer to God or to grow spiritually, different ways that we might position ourselves to listen for God. But he also tells some of his personal story in the book. And he talks about his life. And when he first became a Christian, he says, you know, I kind of divided things up between spiritual and unspiritual or sacred and secular. And he said, whenever I went to church or read the Bible or was in an intentional time of prayer, I kind of thought that's where God is. And he said, all the other stuff I did, life with my family, life at work, leisure time, I, I realized I was thinking like, God's not there. That somehow God doesn't care about that or those experiences are devoid of God's presence. He said gradually over time as he walked with Christ and matured in his faith, he began to realize that biblical characters don't make that division. They don't separate life like that. He says he began to realize that some of the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures and some of the psalmists talk about the glory of the Lord filling the earth that God's majesty is alive throughout creation he says he was reading Paul and heard Paul say that it's in God that we live and move and have our being that God's world that God's presence is what we live in not something that's separate he says he realized that Jesus had said in the Gospels, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You remember how the psalmist says that God is with us wherever we go, high or low, here or there, God is with us. And he said he began to try to incorporate that into the way he lived and look for God in those places where before he thought God was not actively present or interested in his life. He writes about how he began to think about this. I want to read you a few sentences. He says, this love of God 
that we know through Christ is like the shining sun that continuously sends forth its rays of light and warmth. There is no time in our lives when God is not actively loving us. God's transforming love radiates toward us in every single moment and in every experience of our lives. This never-failing, always-present love is the kingdom, the eternal realm of God, which Jesus made accessible to us now and into which we shall fully pass at the moment of our dying. Then he ends the paragraph with this sentence. Training ourselves to be aware of this glorious reality in the present moment signposts the challenge facing every Christ follower. See, he realized it's not that God is not with him, that God was not present in every moment, but he wasn't paying attention. He wasn't noticing. He wasn't thinking, oh, God might be with me now. God might be working in me now. It falls to us to notice God's work in our lives and respond it's up to us to be sensitive or be aware or be attentive that God could be at work in us now or tomorrow or the next day and we should be listening and looking and ready to respond even as Christ did last Sunday we started this series I told you the story about the cross-country track team. You remember it was in the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Collins' book is all about businesses and organizations moving from good to great. But in the very last chapter, he tells this story as another way to understand what he's talking about. And he says there was this track team. They ran cross-country, high school students. They were just in the pack with everybody else. But then they began to rise and do better and better. And they began to be contenders in the top 20, then the top 10. And then finally they won the state championship one year. And then they won it again the next year. And Collins was talking with the coaches about what had happened. How had they improved so much over these years? He says it took them several years to make this progression. And he said when the coaches began to reflect about it, they thought it had something to do with the motto they adopted. Remember the motto? We run best at the end. We run best at the end of practice. We run best at the end of races. We run best at the end of the season when it counts the most. And it got me to thinking how that can apply to so many different areas of our lives. It made me remember the importance of finishing strong. And I wondered out loud with those who were here last week, what if we adopted that as our motto at Boston Avenue? We finish strong. 
So we know that we're coming up on this last Sunday of November. It's Christ the King Sunday, and we want to finish strong. So at Boston Avenue, we come every week. We give every week. We pray every day. We serve whenever we can. We're walking and talking testimonies of love to the world. Why? Because at Boston Avenue, we finish strong. As Christ followers, we finish strong. We know we're coming up to the end of the liturgical calendar. We've been counting these Sundays since last December, and now we only have a couple left, and we want to finish strong. Do you think about your own life that way? In the context of the Christian life? These sermons in November are to help you, to encourage you, to finish strong, to take your Christian life seriously to move ahead with Christ, to open yourself to God's leading and to follow it so that you can finish this Christian year with strength, with boldness, with faithfulness, with devotion. That's what Paul's saying to these who became believers but now are under attack. He's writing back to them, encouraging them to finish strong, to stay strong in their faith. We heard it in verse 12. He says, I am urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who's calling you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you feel the encouragement? Do you feel the spirit of God calling you into the realm of God, into the spirit of love, filling you with this Holy Spirit that you might finish strong, that you might walk in faith? that you might live in love. So what might finishing strong look like for us that gather here this year? What would that look like? How might God be working in you? Let me share a few examples that I see. Whenever people are willing to come to church on Saturday and be a part of a 12-hour prayer vigil, I think that's God at work in them. When people are willing to gather for a worship experience on Saturday and listen for God to speak, to reaffirm their baptism and their faith, I think that's God at work in them. We just sent hundreds of letters of nominations out to so many of you asking you if you would fulfill a role in the life of the church and be a leader of some sort in the life of the church and Hundreds of you said, yes, I will serve. That helps us finish strong and move into the new year with strength. When we ask you to think and pray about moving up one degree in your giving, and over 50% of you said, I can do that, that helps us finish strong. When I see so many of you serving different community organizations and volunteering in nonprofits and taking roles on boards for the good of our community, I think that's God at work in you. I think God is inspiring you to take that step and serve your community. It helps us finish strong when we're all living our faith. Maybe this has never happened to you, but some of us wake up on Sunday morning and think, I'm tired. I stayed up too late watching that football game. Maybe I won't go today. And then, say hello to you all on television that did that. 
But then some of you said, you know what? I remember my commitment to God. I remember my friends down there at Boston Avenue. I'm going this morning. I'm going to find my place. I'm going to be there. When you do that, that helps us finish strong. When you work in your neighborhoods and you're kind to your neighbor and you do good things to make the quality of life of other people improve, I think that's God at work in you. When you volunteer for ministries here at the church that help others feel welcomed and embraced by the love of God, to feel a healing spirit that might restore their faith or their soul, I think that's God at work in you. When you invite others to come, when you welcome them, when you give them rides, when you participate and helping them get connected here in the life of the church. I think that's God at work in you. There's so many ways that God works in our lives. I know a number of people that on Sunday, rather than being here, they go to a place where others are going to watch us on television, and they sit with them, and they worship with them, so they know they're a part of this family of faith. I think that's God inspiring them and working through them so many ways for God to work in our lives. Paul is encouraging us to pay attention, to watch and to listen, to believe that these words are not some old dusty words on a page, but are leaping off the page to speak to you, to inspire you, to grasp your heart and fill you with God's love and power and to send you out into the world be Christian people, loving God and loving neighbor. I don't know what it is specifically for you this year, but I know this. I know that God's word is alive and is at work in you. Amen.